You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tajan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? I have an announcement to make. It is officially the rut. And today, we're going to be talking with three dudes, including myself, who are fans of the rut. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I was trying to really hype this up, but it sounded really dumb the more I got into it. So I'm going to bail on that. I'm going to tell you about today's episode, but I got to do a quick woo! Because uh, I'm recording this little intro on Halloween in hopes that, you know, once uh, the rut gets rocking and rolling, I'm going to schedule this to launch. I'll be out in a tree, either already done or getting really close to putting an arrow in uh, a big, fat, large antlered whitetail buck. And uh, I actually went and checked trail cameras on the farm that I've hunted the longest and man there, there there's one whitetail okay so i had one picture of a, a eight pointer from last year that i i've been talking about but it was nocturnal and it was man i want to say like 
real early October, no other pictures of this buck have uh, have surfaced. On the other hand, I have a very beautiful 140, 145 class, eight pointer, decent mass. I'm guessing he's a four year old or he's at least a four year old, right? And so that buck right there is the the biggest buck running around on the farm. There is, uh, I, would, I would say there's a 150 inch three year old that's running around and he's got, he's got a real um, awesome inside antler kind of growing but this is a buck that I'd rather not shoot because I'd like to get him to an older age class. With that said, there's other hunters on that farm actually today while I'm recording this and throughout all this week and, and potentially next week off and on. And so um, I'm going to be going to the new farm that I have access to. And, and so I will be in the process. Uh, there's much bigger deer there, much older age class deer on, on that particular farm this year. So I will be in the process of trying to knock down one of those deer, man. And, uh, it's going to be tough with only one access part, uh, point in the whole farm and, uh, pretty much can't hunt anything with an East wind. We're going to be talking, um, about some terrain that is going to be difficult to hunt uh, we're talking about a big it's not a big valley but i can see when i get in there we're going to be dealing with some swirling winds in certain areas especially when this one big draw with no cover on it sweeps down into a bottom that has a ton of cover on it and i can see the wind just kind of twisting in there and so uh we'll have to we'll have to see what happens got to use my brain got to use my past experience put myself in the right position and then from there on out uh it's just going to be a matter of rotating through areas uh, little areas on this farm making minor adjustments moving tree stands five yards 10 yards 20 yards whatever is needed to put myself in the in the best position so that's what kind of my rut hunting strategy um today's episode we talk about when to make these aggressive moves and what you'll hear uh, all three of the people talk about today there's there's aggressive mindsets but when you have an aggressive mindset the the moves necessarily aren't aggressive and then we have like this other little separate conversation about specific aggressive moves that uh, a person can take and so I would say that me personally, I have an aggressive mindset, but when I look at what I'm doing, I'm not, I'm not making aggressive moves per se. That's just how I, I am. I don't necessarily think that they're aggressive unless we're, we start to talk about crunch time, got to get back home. The, my rut vacation is over. I need to throw myself into a really almost a um a very risky predicament where we're going to be cutting the wind and you're, you'll hear all three guys talk about that today so on the podcast today we're going to be talking with parker mcdonald of the southern ground uh podcast we're going to be talking with byron horton of the whitetail experience podcast and we're going to be talking with mark Kenyon from the wired to hunt podcast and this is a hodgepodge um, three separate interviews all packed down in today's episode and we're we basically talk about what it's like to be aggressive we talk about what m makes a person say 
I need to be aggressive or I need to lay off. And then we talk about specific aggressive moves that they have done in the past that may have paid off. So aggression during the rut. That's the theme of this podcast. Before we get into it, though, it's commercial time. Tethered, if you're looking for an awesome saddle, uh, a company that has a ton of support behind it. Um, you know, a lot of people say, hey, the saddle's just a fad. Well, it, they've been around long enough. It's not a fad. People are starting to see the benefits of hunting from a saddle. Some guys like it, and it really does. I'll, I'll say this. When I have been in the stand this year, it is an awesome feeling just wearing a saddle and a rope into the tree stand and carrying my my climbing sticks. There's no saddle or there's no those there's no stand. It's a noticeable weight difference. I can I feel more mobile. I feel more uh, agile when I'm walking through the woods. I don't have this heavy stand on my back. And although I I do still feel there are times and places for a tree stand, it's awesome to have this uh, saddle as a tool. And that's what the guys at Tethered want. They want you to look at this not as a as a a complete lifestyle change but as a tool in your arsenal to get close to deer right sometimes they use tree stands sometimes they use saddles sometimes they hunt from the ground right it's just a tool it's just a, a it's a different strategy it's a different approach to ultimately doing the same thing and that's killing a deer so check out uh tethered's website uh, for saddles, for climbing sticks, for all the saddle hunting accessories, and for the education that you need to properly use a saddle. Uh, I told my kids this weekend about wasp broadheads, and um, I played them the Metallica Seek and Destroy. My daughter didn't like the Metallica song, but my my son loved it. So, right, just just this power, like the the, the power. And for some reason, I just keep. <laughs> I I think that uh, Wasp and Metallica go hand in hand. Their broadheads go hand in hand. Just the ultimate destruction of something, uh, and that's what Wasp broadheads do. I'm a huge fan of their their hundred grain jackhammers. That's what I have on my my arrow right now i think my total arrow weight is sitting at about 524 for a total arrow weight and then when i use a fixed blade i'm using the boss four blade a majority a majority of their heads are built in america american design uh, american materials and so uh it's an awesome uh, it's awesome to still see that and uh, so if you, you're looking for a, a broadhead that's going to get the job done, go check out wasparchery.com. Discount code. Let me double check this here. What is the discount code here? NFC20. NFC20 for some of the best broadheads on the market, in my opinion. Hunt stand. As I start this process, right, I'm going to be documenting every single thing that I do on any of the properties that I hunt on hunt stand every time i see a scrape every time i see a rub every time i see a deer come out of a little pocket or wherever i'm going to mark it i'm going to mark it and what you have is points on a graph if we're going to talk about statistics that will show you where the movement is it will also show you where the movement is not and that's why i love journaling and documenting on a app like hunt stand on top of that they have the new pro whitetail platform available um, it is a slight upgrade but uh, in, in price but there's a ton of functionality that comes with that and that is what is it 
a, a rut map indicator, new satellite imagery, um, so, some forecasting, and some weather. Uh, new, uh, just just uh, anything that a whitetail hunter needs, a serious hardcore guy needs, HuntStand has that. So go check out HuntStand.com for more information. Last but not least, rangefinder in the tree. Uh, spotting scope, not spotting scope, binoculars in the tree. Vortex optics. If you are looking for a optic, whether that's a rifle scope, spotting scope, binocular, rangefinder, red dot, Vortex offers that. Very high quality. All right. And on top of that, the people that support the products through customer service are second to none. So that's Vortex Optics. Uh, if you're looking for uh, some of the best people and products in the industry, go check out VortexOptics.com. On top of that, they have an amazing apparel line. I'm wearing their beanie right now and uh, a nice soft uh, zip-up hooded sweatshirt uh every like when they when they send me this stuff i'm like a walking billboard for them and uh it's because their t-shirts fit nice their their clothing it fits nice it's comfortable and it's not just like the cheap stuff just with their logo on it they took some time to go in and make sure it was done right just like vortex does with everything else uh, on, in their company and their apparel line is awesome as well so commercials are over it's the rut baby <laughs> let's get into today's episode with three dudes who love hunting whitetail hopefully you guys enjoy all right byron do me a favor and talk to us a little bit about how you determine when to be aggressive and then maybe give some examples specifically on how you are aggressive during the rut. Yeah, so to me, and, and I think we should do a preference uh, the rut is like this time slot. Do you, you want to go from like, I don't know, October 30th through November 15th for this conversation? Yeah, and we can even we can even go further than the 15th in into like the breeding, like the, the post breeding season or the tail end of the rut when you know, like for me, the tail end of the rut is when a lot of the big deer start to start cruising. And I mean, that's when you're going to see your most mature, biggest antlered animals on their feet being dumb cruising, you know, deer that you've never seen before. So take it however you want to take it. Yeah. So like, as far as like getting aggressive one, it is the time of year you've waited to get aggressive. Yes. Um, so, so that to me is like, you, you don't want to live for tomorrow at, at this point. Now, uh, the, I may answer that question a little different if it's like October 30th through November 3rd and it's uh, 75, 80 degrees. Okay, if you have the vacation days, especially later in the month, I may not hunt my number one, two or three best spots or, or anything on those days. But that being said, you start to get into like the 5th through the, the 10th if you gotta go, you can't just wait on the perfect day. Like I definitely think it's, it's worth volume shooting for, for most guys in that, that window, uh, where if the more time in the timber sitting the best spots, you don't want to sit that best spot in November, necessarily like 25th, in my opinion, because a lot of the action might've blown past there. Um, I, I really think you're, you're okay to, to green light somewhere around November 5th and later. Yeah. Um, and when you say green light, talk to us a little bit about like what that means as far as okay, getting per, into your best yeah, spots. Per, 
perfect example. Last night, I literally knew I was going to bump deer walking my the, the route I chose out. But I knew I could scout for scrapes. I knew I could pull a trail cam. And yes, I did have a group of those that I busted off the Greenbrier patch. But I, I pulled a camera that told me, hey, there's two shooters um, in this particular area and maybe a third. And honestly, Dan, like just personally, I'm dealing with some EHD issues that that whole hillsides and mountains uh, are not holding deer. So that was an, like I knew I was bumping deer. I knew I was being aggressive, but I was able to get some scouting in. I was able to find a doe group. I was able to pull some trail cams. That gives me a little more confidence to go back in there. To me, it, it was worth the intrusion at that point, knowing that the next three weeks I got to hunt as many days as possible in my opinion okay all right so you you give yourself the green light what is being aggressive i mean for let's let's say there's a guy out there right now and he's you he's he's pretty new to uh hunting the rut what what does it mean to be aggressive yeah i would say getting aggressive no in that sense is there's a high it's almost like an all or nothing mission, but a, a very high possibility that you are going to educate some deer based on your hunt, your access, um, what you're doing. Uh, you may kill a deer, but you're probably also going to educate some deer. And I personally like some of those bedding area type hunts where you've got to walk essentially past deer. Uh, deer may see you in the dark. They may smell you. But you got to get to that that best doe bedding area. I can think of one that I like to hunt, and, and it's an aggressive set. Like I definitely educate deer. But if I if I go for that hunt three or four days in November, those are some of the best hunts I've had over the last five years. Um, when I do that, when I am getting that aggressive, I do like an all day sit um, because then I'm only leaving one access trail in and out of that that particular. It's kind of a like, like a pinch meets a doe bedding. It's not necessarily the best evening spot, I will say that, but it's one of those things that I, I once I'm in there, I kind of want to stay. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so, and so then, do you think, uh, like aggressive, like being aggressive is a, is a mindset or is it an actual, like a a day to day strategy? Ooh. I'm a day-to-day I, I think I'm gonna go with the mindset okay. if, if I'm gonna pick one on this podcast it's you know the the thought of what is the best play as of right now with the information I have at my hands and it's a a a thought of you're not living necessarily for tomorrow you're living to 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 win the game, if you will, you, you know, in a football analogy, if you're the away team and you've just scored, you're down one. I kind of like going for two because you're on the road. You, you let, let's play to win the game. We're three yards from, from doing this. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. All right. So, um, have you then, I mean, do you, do you consider yourself because that here's, here's where I'm thinking right now. I have these conversations with myself about, Okay, what what is an aggressive chess move? Like when I when I'm at my truck and I say to myself, "Okay, I'm going in tonight." How do I determine whether it's an aggressive move or not? And so for me, I don't necessarily look at what I'm doing 
as aggressive. That's just my style. You know what I mean? Like that's, mm-hmm. I, I always put myself in, in these types of positions because I found out throughout the years, um, uh, throughout the years that, uh, if I, if I just sit field edges, I'm not going to have a, a, you know, a good hunt. Or if I, if I have my face just directly into the wind and the, the, it's blowing away from where the action is and I don't use any type type of wind quartering techniques, then I don't see as many deer. And so I think I can, I can really agree with you when it's more of a mindset, but so then I, I, what I do is I go compared to what, right? So if I compare my style to somebody else's, right. Or your style to somebody else's, we're probably way more on the aggressive side as far as access routes and, um, and you know, wind direction than the, than somebody else's. Does that make sense? Oh, Oh yeah. Like I, I, I feel like Bill Winky comes to mind, uh, when I think of this, like almost just passive, Hey, he, he has a lot of days to hunt. He's got a good farm to hunt. Yeah. He can, he can literally pick the best field edge every night. And if the deer don't show, he's got the access routes, uh, in place. He knows the access routes, you know, yeah. that, that, that to me is the, the ultimate, like kind of passive hunter, uh, you and I, especially the guys listening to these who are working men, like what you get to hunt three days a week sometimes in October and, and you got uh, oh, five to 10 vacation days for the month of November. Like if that, go. if that, yeah. right. Yeah. All right. So talk, I know that you've been on the hunt for um, a good deer this year. Mm. Um, and it sounds to me like you haven't connected with them yet, but you're getting closer. Um, talk to us a little bit about, how you're going to approach the next handful of, of sets, you know, in this rut time frame, and uh, talk to me about how you're, you know, like what aggressive moves specifically you plan on making to get within shooting range of uh, your target animal. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sure. So, like, the, the two better bucks I was really chasing, I believe them to be dead. Uh, we've had EHD really bad, and it's like... You know, in a year of, of that, the one deer I really scouted four or five times, and I, I can't find his sign, I can't find a trek, I can't find a big rub. I've got a couple cameras that I, I don't solely want to rely on, but it's like in a year of EHD, like I think you just do your math and try and locate the next biggest one. Um, so so I feel like speaking to my current plan of aggressiveness, the, literally the, I was in the timber oh, four days this week or three. I'm trying uh, three full days so morning evenings plus midday and and honestly i was scouting hard uh i I bumped some deer but i I gotta go no i gotta go find out what's going on you know is there an area holding rubs and scrapes are are certain scrapes opened up i've got these a couple of scrapes that are historic that just aren't even open so it's like okay i could go hunt this ridge system but there's there's no active sign um, and it seems like I'm starting to find like two pockets right now where it's, it's on, there's a couple deer in there. The, the rubs are there. The does are there. Um, trail cams kind of showing me some bucks. It's like, 
I, I know I've disturbed that area some, but now I know. Like, I don't have to hunt question marks at, at this point because I've, I've got my scouting in. Yeah. So what was it then specifically that that's going to lead you? Is it the sign? Is it the trail camera data that's going to lead you into making a, a an aggressive or non-aggressive uh, move? Yeah, I would say a combo. Like I'm, I, I, I try to, I only, I try not to overuse the trail cams because one, I use elevated sets. They literally, the deer has to stick its head in the scrape, and and how do you know he didn't walk behind that scrape three times for every time he put his head in it? Yeah. Um. So, so I try not to solely do that, but like me, I've got to see big rubs or a couple of scrapes working a system that, that to me gives me the confidence to start sitting there regularly, um, and seeing just does in general. Yeah. Uh, are you so, hunting does specifically? I, for not bucks? yet. I, I, I'm starting to note if I've got single does versus double does, uh, or doe with her fluff or, or fawns. Uh, I, I will start to hunt does October 7th, 8th ish. And, and I will say this, Dan, I feel Ohio is a touch behind say the core Midwest, Wisconsin, Iowa. And I think it's a temperature thing. Yeah. Uh, you guys are traditionally 10 degrees cooler than we are. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So when you're going into like, walk us through how you're going to access this area, where you think where you think it's going to go down. Talk to us about what the wind is going to be doing, how aggressive the play, maybe even throw in thermal talk in, into this yeah. location and just walk us through how you visualize this kill going down. Yeah, so I, I think I'm a couple plays away. Um, but I think there's there's some acreage deep that's holding some deer and there's a couple good ones in there. One, I on a perfect day, I'd like a low wind day. It does seem that that particular bull system and ridges, when it gets up there, it kind of does a tide effect where you'll be in your stand and it'll be blown to your three o'clock. And then all of a sudden it'll rip the other way and go, go um, nine o'clock. And so I think on those lower wind days, I kind of get just a little more consistency. Thermals are starting to play a lot more effect now that leaves are, leaf litters like kind of off the trees. Those hillsides can get really warm, and I think them bucks are, are going to be using oh, the higher part of the hills now that the leaves are, are gone. Just they get that that ripping thermal, oh, especially late in the morning. Right. Um, how's it going to go down? It's going to be a frosty, cool morning. It's going to be about no. Uh, let's go. Let's. Oh, how much hunting time can I get? Away? See, I was just in the woods, and you know this. Uh, gotta have, gotta have some home time before you can leave again. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so the brownie points are definitely come into come into play on how aggressive you're going to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's going to be a morning. Yeah, and 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 if it's if it's the first couple missions, I'm going to go stupid early. I'm yeah. going to sacrifice uh, an extra 45 minutes or so sleep. And I actually think I am going to sweep in high, which I know sounds ridiculous because it's ripping down. But I think these deer are, are feeding on this green briar. And I think the best access is going to be to go high because uh, I'm very conscious of my boot traffic uh, almost more than, than necessarily the, the wind once I get to the stand. I think I'm going to drop down this point. I've got a, uh, a little kind of funnel meets a clear cut. And I think that's going to be the play. I think if I sit that out 
oh, there, there's two good pinches within 200 yards of each other, but it's kind of all the same habitat plus terrain. I think it's sit there as many days as I can here from the, the first through the seventh, and uh, hopefully one of those guys comes through. Yeah. So what part of that would you say is an aggressive move or maybe it's not aggressive at all. Is it the access route getting into it? Is it the stand location paired with a specific wind direction? Or is it just the the amount of time you're going to be putting in the stand with an all-day set? Yeah. yeah, so to get to this spot, this is what makes it aggressive, is you're going to educate some deer. You're going to get blown at. It's One, you're, you're, you're walking a, a longer distance, so you're just covering more ground, one. And two, like the... I'm clearly going to hunt between some doe bedding areas. Like it's a terrain feature between two doe bedding areas and I've got a habitat change. Like there's like what I call like a compounding feature right there. You know, you got four things, three things working for you, but to get there, there's going to be deer there already. When, when you come in, in the dark, there's going to be deer that show up. And and I don't know about you. I, I hate it when does come around and stand around me or spikes for, um, even anything longer than about 30 seconds yeah. because they may catch me. I, I sometimes will hunt low and while that's a great shot angle, um, it's not necessarily the best, uh, for, for scent purposes or, um, visually a lot of times I can beat a solo buck low, but I can't beat like groups of deer. Right. Right. Especially if they're moving through slow, right? Yeah, dude, there is nothing worse. And obviously I'm going to be hunting greenbrier, which is a, uh, browsy type uh, plant they prefer here in the Buckeye State. I don't believe Iowa has it, but uh, it's something that they they, they kind of walk and meander through, uh, kind of like a bigger oak flat where they, they're they not on a very big clip. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's I set up, when I, when I come into an area, I don't know about you, but I set up to where I want the deer to be in my shooting lane and, and, and just either natural movement or, and then when he's out of that shooting lane, then there's a chance I get busted. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so as they come into my shooting range, he's going to be in some kind of shooting lane, hopefully. And, and then if he goes by, then there's the chance in either direction that, uh, you know, like, uh Oh, it, it, it could get, you know, it could get squirrely here. And that's why I've learned throughout the years that I don't care if I only see one deer the entire set and it's the deer that I, that I want to shoot. I don't care if I see, thir- oh, I love that thought. You, you know, 30 does like I want to see because 30 does just means or small bucks. That means that there's that many more chances I get busted and they blow out the whole timber and that, that buck doesn't naturally come through the area. And that, that is one of those things where deer like areas because you know of all the things that you've already mentioned today right but not just big bucks all deer like these areas all deer feel safe in these areas and so and so with that you get that risk of the the quartering winds or setting up in a place that the thermals if the once the sun if the sun's not hitting this area right away you're gonna have some downwind thermal that could potentially uh they could catch too depending on how their movement is and so Dude, it, it just like that for me, it is what I think about the most when I am trying to find tree stand locations. 
Dan, let me ask an aggressive question here. Are you a guy for a morning hunt? Do you walk very fast, get to your destination, and kind of your thought is you've got there before the deer? Or do you maybe tiptoe the last hundred yards trying to say, okay, if something's in the zone, maybe I can get up this tree with without getting spooked? Where, where do you fall in that category? Yeah, man. It For me, it just depends on what I feel the deer are doing before they get to me, right? So in, mm-hmm. in the past, I've been that guy where certain areas mean I got to get in an hour early. Like I got to get ahead of them. I got to get mm-hmm. settled in and then then they'll naturally move through. There's other times where there's a group of deer that are coming through. Let's say there's a, a group of deer that are coming through a, a, uh, at dark about the time that um, I'm walking through the timber, right? So I'll hold off a little bit and I'll be climbing up the tree during day, gray light. You know, like it's not shooting light yet, but there's light in the, in the east, and so I'll get up, clip in, and then it's game time, right? So okay. it, it just depends on what I feel the deer movement are, is doing. But I got this new farm that I feel like to kick things off, it's b- going to be better to get in there early. Just walk to the tree, get everything settled yeah. in, get everything settled in, and then just let the timber go back to normal. Um, Jim Shockey, uh, I interviewed him a long time ago, and he kind of when you he he made this uh comparison when you throw a rock into a a a water it makes all the ripples there's a big impact Mm -hmm. in the site where it is but it that is also the first to calm down and then the ripples eventually go back to a flat surface and so i look at pressure something like that where you're walking in things are going to things are going to you're going to bump deer you're going to affect the the natural world in some way shape or form and even birds stop chirping sometimes <laughs> and so yeah. you climb up there you set and then things calm down again the birds start chirping the squirrels start moving and then eventually deer start working through and so that's i don't know I, that he he mentioned something like that and i really that really stuck with me yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I kind of like that situational uh, answer. And it may be something, too, like if I would see a deer in the dark or, or kind of think I'm hearing stuff like a couple hundred yards away, like I might I might elect to, to set up a lot quieter or, or slow my pace down at that point. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Mark, so it's the rut. I want to talk to you today about how you determine whether or not to make an aggressive move or how you determine whether to be aggressive or not as aggressive. Okay. During the rut, right? During the rut. Okay. So I would say, first off, if it's the rut, at all already I have now cleared a threshold for being aggressive or not because my level of aggressiveness is significantly different 
outside of the rut compared to what it is during the rut. So if it's November, right out the gate, I'm being much more aggressive than I would be in October or September for two reasons. Number one, I think it pays to be more aggressive in November because one, bucks are more, you know, uh, susceptible to aggressive tactics. Their mind is elsewhere. They're focused on either breeding or kicking the ass of anybody who's trying to get in their way of breeding. So because of that, a lot of stuff all of a sudden flies that wouldn't fly a month ago. Number two, I'm willing to be more aggressive in November because because of all that stuff I just said, right? A buck is going to be more forgiving of my mistakes. So if I do something aggressive and I screw it up, they have a shorter memory. They have a shorter attention span. They've got a lot of other stuff on their mind. So they will maybe, you know, forgive me for doing something dumb yesterday and still come through the same spot tomorrow because there's a hot dough and nothing matters more than that hot dough to a buck. So right out the gate, high level, if you get me in November, I'm doing aggressive stuff. No matter if it's a Monday, a Friday, if it's 70 or 30, if there's a big buck in sight or not, I'm going to be aggressive or at least more aggressive. Now, I will have a sliding scale of aggression based on a couple things. Number one, it will be based a little bit on conditions. So if I have tremendously perfect conditions in November, that huge cold front that pushed through, some snow on the ground, and it's November 10th maybe, everything is lined up perfect, and it's November 10th, well, now I'm going to swing for the fences. I'm going to do everything that I possibly can because I know I have like the best possible day I could get during the whole year probably when you have you know 12 degrees, snow, November 10th, and you've got a hot dough in the area and you're seeing it all light up. Like That's the day you do everything you possibly can. Now, flip side would be if I'm in November and it's 75 degrees and I've hardly seen anything out and it's 35 mile an hour winds, now all of a sudden you know things aren't lining up for this to be the day of all days. Not to say it couldn't happen, but it's not the best of days. So maybe today's not the day I go and, you know, go into that super aggressive spot that's like my best spot I've been saving all year. Um, so that's one way to think about it. I will throw in one other factor to consider when I'm adjusting my aggression scale, and that's going to be how much time I have available on this hunt. So if I'm hunting a spot that's close to home and I have all season long to hunt, Maybe I'm not going to be as aggressive on a random day in early November because I know I can still hunt again on November 5th and I can still hunt again on November 12th and I can still hunt again on November 15th and I can still hunt on November 25th and I've got time to kill this deer. Um, as long as I don't screw it up too much, I will have more opportunities. So in that case, I might not be you know a 10 out of 10 on the aggression scale. On the flip side, if I'm on a traveling hunt where I've got seven days, and I get to day six or day seven and I still haven't killed, well, now there's there's no point in not being aggressive because I have no time left. So you might as well swing for the fences. You might as well try something new. You might as well get crazy with it because even if you screw it up, you can't hunt tomorrow anyways. So, you know, you lost nothing. Right. So those are some of the things that are going to tell me whether or not I should be aggressive or not. Um, now, do you want me to talk about what I mean when I say aggressive? Is that something worth talking about? Yeah, uh, just like the whole the whole point here is to talk about the different levels of aggressive moves that we're trying to weigh when we go into a tree stand location or when we're planning on moving into an area versus staying out of it. So you take it however you want. Yeah. So the first two ways of being aggressive that come to mind would be in my choices on the spots to hunt, 
and then in the tactics I choose to employ. So let's talk places to hunt first. Okay. If I'm going to be aggressive with the places I'm choosing to hunt, that means an aggressive spot would be pushing into the heart of a property or into the heart of cover where I know that I will be making a big impact. Deer will smell me. Deer might see me. I will booger up this place. If I'm willing to hunt in a spot like that, that is a very aggressive move because I know by going in there, it's a, it's a swing for the fences kind of spot. I'm either going to kill a deer because it's such a great spot in there, or I'm really going to mess it up for tomorrow and the next day and the next day because of whatever factors there might be. Maybe like there's a spot I can think of like this on a place I hunt in Michigan where there is a little core zone of incredible bedding cover and there's a little creek crossing back there where history has told me if there's a big buck in the area, if there's four big bucks in the area, they are all going to cross this creek crossing over and over and over and over and over again during the rut. Like they're always going to move through there. It's like clockwork. If you sit there, you will shoot the biggest buck in the area. Problem is, it is surrounded 360 degrees by doe bedding. There are does everywhere. You cannot get in there without does smelling you or hearing you or seeing you or without bucks seeing you, smelling you, hearing you. So you, you maybe can get in there in the morning before daylight. You can be sitting there, but your wind has to blow somewhere, right? And right. so in that case, something's going to wind you. Something's going to get boogered eventually. So the question is, do you go in there? and try to kill something before it gets blown up with 19 does snorting and wheezing? Or do you stay out because it's such a high-impact spot? So if I'm being really aggressive on the 10 out of 10 scale with a location kind of spot, that's the kind of spot. And let's say it's the end of the, maybe it's the end of my rotation, and I've got that super cold, perfect day, and I've got a wind that maybe will blow down the creek, so it's a little bit better than the other spots. That might be the day I'm willing to be aggressive because I know Man, if I don't get it killed today, my rotation's done, and I'm, you know, it's not going to matter anyway. So I might as well try this thing. Either I kill or I screw it up. But it's better than not knowing. So that's yeah. an aggressive spot. The yeah. aggressive tactics would be something like using a decoy. That's a, like a high-risk, high-reward kind of tactic. It's something that can work really good, but it could also spook a bunch of deer. And you might have every deer that comes through spooks instead of comes through your area. And if you didn't have the decoy, maybe 7 out of 10 would have worked your way. Uh, aggressive calling. I am not aggressive with my calling in Michigan because it's a place that it does not work as well. I'm much more aggressive with my calling in Iowa or Nebraska or Ohio where there are a lot more mature bucks and that kind of stuff can work. So again, if I'm on a rut hunt and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, man, do I play it safe or do I get aggressive with the tactic that's, again, going to go back to all the things I discussed. How much time I have, how good are the conditions, what's the situation. In this rut hunt I'm going to be on this year, I'll be in Nebraska. Probably when I start out, I'm not going to bring the decoy out. I'm probably not going to be you know, going to the very, 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 very best spot on day one. I'm going to still hunt a good spot because it is the rut, so I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to get into a good spot, but I might not use my 10 out of 10 spot till. A little bit later when the cooler weather comes or when I get a little bit more into the hunt and I know what's going on. But if it gets to day seven, the last day I can hunt there, and if I still haven't killed, you better believe I'm going to be sitting in the very, very, very best spot, even if it's a high-impact, tough spot to get into. I will be trying to rattle like a madman. I will be trying to grunt. Uh, I very likely might bring the decoy out because sometimes that can be that aggressive play that will bring the buck in from 200 yards away. 
that would never have come in otherwise. Yeah. If I spook a bunch of deer, who cares? I can't hunt tomorrow. I got to take a right. chance at that point. So those right. are the things I'm thinking about when it comes to aggression during the rut. Um, okay. At least the stuff that comes to mind right off the bat. Is that right? Is that cover the right That's, stuff or where yeah, do you want that more? covers the right stuff but I, I want to throw a hypothetical scenario out at you um you talked about having l- let's say an out-of-state hunt or it is a a weekend or a week of vacation on a, a farm closer to your house that you may be able to get at later in the year maybe not all right so the the scenario goes like this you see a buck you want to make a move on him but if you make a move on him, there's the, the, the potential of, and here's the risk, of bumping other deer on the way in or setting up to where you think you have a good shot at this buck, but there's still going to be other deer downwind of you that could potentially catch your scent or thermal. So the move is aggressive. Um, the, the move in is aggressive. Is that something that you would be willing to do on day one or two of your hunt? Or is that something that you just let patience prevail and try to catch this deer doing something different? If a deer is very killable, like if I see something, if I get that rare kind of confirmation of a deer doing something in a place right now where he's killable and... You know, I, I have the opportunity to take the strike. I'm willing to take an aggressive strike like that in day one because you might not ever get another chance like that in some places. So, you know, I'll, I'll be more conservative, you know, relatively conservative early in a hunt if I don't have, like, a killing opportunity. But as soon as, like, one of those chances comes by, I do believe in most cases you have to strike. Like, unless you're hunting you know, some mega managed farm where there's not a lot of pressure and there's not things like that. And you've got, you know, something great will happen if you just like play it safe. Like I don't have those kinds of places to hunt. Usually I'm usually hunting smaller stuff. If I do have sole access to it, there's still other hunters around it. Um, I don't have time, the time, even on my like local stuff that I can hunt throughout the season. I usually don't even have time to just sit around and wait and wait and wait. Cause stuff's going to get messed up by other people too. So if I do get that special chance where the big buck I'm after shows up in daylight two days in a row, or I see him this morning go into a bedding area and I know he's here with a doe in there. Like if there's something like that, where you have this incredible data point, like this thing that says he is here now and in daylight and he's close by, I am striking and I am going in hard and I am willing to sacrifice a place or other deer. Um, if I, you know, have that opportunity because you only you might only get at least the places I hunt, I might only get opportunities like that a time or two in a whole season. So when they're there, I've gotten to the point now where you need to go and take that calculated strong strike because you'll you'll never hit a home run unless you swing for the fences once in a while. Um, I've I've hit plenty of singles and doubles in my in my life. Now I want home runs, and you don't hit a home run without swinging really hard and missing a lot too. Yeah. You you mentioned some of the parcels that you hunt are small, and uh, for example, the the place where you shot your buck this year. Um, does does the term aggressive mean something different to guys who hunt small parcels? And we're talking like let's just say uh, three to forty acres. I know yeah. that's a 
that's a different range, but yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, because you know, a, an aggressive move on a small, on a small parcel, or let me take this, let me say this a different way. Your percentage of possible hunts on a small, small parcel, a whole lot more of those moves are probably pretty darn aggressive compared to if you have 500 acres, because on 500 acres, you know, if you hunt a given spot and mess it up, you've got 497 other acres or something like that. So you have so many other options to fall back on while on like a 34 acre property I'm hunting this year, you know, there's one little bedding area and all my marbles are in on that bedding area. And if I go in there and screw it up, that's a pretty aggressive move. Like one hunt and I don't have anything else to fall back on. So, right. So that by default becomes more aggressive. I think, I think that's a way to think about what an aggressive move means is if you were to look at, okay, well, what are my backup plans to this? What are my other alternatives? If your alternative set is three other spots, two other spots, one other spot, then anything is pretty darn aggressive. Um, if you've got 72 other spots, well then shoot, you can go and throw darts at the wall and start hunting even high impact spots because you know, yeah, this is an, this is a quote unquote aggressive move, but how does it impact me? It actually doesn't impact my hunt all that much because I have so many right. other options to go to. So, so yes, with a small property, um, you know, even poking in 70, 80 yards to some transition cover or something that might be really aggressive relative to what you have. Right. All right. So uh, I want to end this conversation with an example of how being aggressive paid off for you in the past. Well, do you mind if I just, I don't think we've talked about this on your podcast yet. I'll mention something I did this season to kill that buck. All right. Yeah. Um, So I killed an opening night buck. And this is one of those situations that I talked about a second ago where I had a data point. I had a set of data points that told me I can kill a buck tonight. I absolutely can kill a buck tonight because I had two things going for me. Number one, it was opening night of the season. And I know from history in this area, these bucks that I see in August and September will still be doing their thing that I've seen them do all September on October 1st. But on October 2nd, they're probably all changing their habits. Like it happens that fast in one night, maybe two nights, depending on the year. But there's so many other hunters in my area that within that 24 to 48 hour window, it's all different. But that first night, they will be there. Very, very good chance of it at least. So I had that going for me. Number two, I had trail camera pictures in the 10 days leading up to opening day of several mature bucks that I wanted to shoot showing up in daylight in a little, like a several acre kind of zone. And I knew that they were showing up in daylight, at least one of them, almost every night. So if I could get into this zone, I would have a very high odds chance that first night. Problem was, the number one spot I wanted to hunt, the wind wasn't quite right for it. So I went in there that day, wanted to hunt my number one spot, and I just couldn't make the wind work. So I sat there and I said, well, I've got two options. I could either back out and hunt a conservative, safe wind spot where I'm not going to see one of these big bucks, but I won't booger anything up. Or I could be aggressive and I could push into my number two spot where I would have a good wind for half of the bedding areas I wanted to hunt. And I did believe that one of these mature bucks could very well come from the north. And if I sat this spot, I could kill a buck coming from the north. But what made it super aggressive is that I would have to sacrifice the entire other half of the bedding, the whole southern bedding area, big old swamp. 
that I knew some of these bucks were betting in. I knew my number one buck was probably betting in, and I would blow the hell out of that swamp by going there. I would have to blow my wind into that swamp for four hours if I wanted to kill one of these other mature bucks that night. Ten years ago, I never would have done that. I would have been so worried to educate any deer, to spook any deer, and I wouldn't have been confident enough in my my possibilities coming from the north I would have yeah. not done that. And I would have said, oh, no, no, no. If I, if I, if any deer knows I'm here, I'll never kill anything. But I knew I had a strong chance from the north still. I knew this was like a one special night kind of thing. I was going to kill or I was going to blow out the south, but I had to take that chance. And sure enough, I took the chance. I sure enough did not see anything come from the south, but a mature buck came from the north and I killed him. Yeah. Do you think that same principle or strategy would have worked in the the rut, say, you know, the second week of the rut? Yeah, I mean, it certainly could. I think, you know, you have to you have to sacrifice something. Every single hunt you go on, you have to think yeah. about what you're giving up. You have to think about what you could like, what's the reward? What's the possible reward in this location or with this tactic? And what's the risk of it? So if it's a location during the rut, I'm going to sit here and say, well, the reward of hunting this spot, the possible reward is that I think bucks will be checking this bedding area and I think bucks will be crossing this creek here and that's pretty good odds during the rut. But what's the risk? Well, the risk is that there's a bunch of does that come down went through here and they bed in here and they might win me and you always have to weigh those two sides of the scale. I just believe during the rut, your possible rewards are higher than almost any other time of year in certain places. And the risk is reduced a little bit because yeah. deer are slightly more forgiving. So, so yes, I think that kind of calculation that I made on October 1st absolutely applies on November 10th, 15th, 25th, whatever it is. Um, you always have to give up something. You just have to determine is what you possibly could get worth that risk. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Any uh, to, to round it out here, are there any other tactics in the rut let's let's say you don't have a buck you don't have a buck pegged you don't know really where there's a, a good caliber or or whatever uh an individual says is a shooter to them do you have any other aggressive tactics for when things just aren't going the way you want i think the one other thing i've become a lot more comfortable with and it's definitely an aggressive move um but it's getting out of the tree and walking around on the ground and actually scouting and hunting on the ground uh, until you find something that says, oh, it's happening here. Because one thing I have found during the rut, hunting a lot of different states, is that the rut is often a, a here but not there kind of thing. Like there, by that I mean like if there's a hot doe, she might have seven bucks with her on November 15th. And if they're not in the drainage you're in, you might have the worst, slowest, lousiest day of rut hunting in the world. While 300 yards away, the next drainage over, it might be an absolute rut fest. And so sometimes it does pay if you are in the middle of that two-day cold spell. When I say cold spell, I mean action. Like you haven't seen anything for two days. It's deathly quiet. You're wondering, you know, did I miss the rut? Is it late? Is it early? What's going on? Yeah. Probably not. Probably it's just 200 yards away or a half mile away or 80 yards away on the other side of this thicket. Whatever it is, sometimes it does pay to get out of the tree seek it out. And even if you bump deer, like I've had times where I've, I've bumped a buck 
And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, and there's another one walking over there and he has no idea I'm here. And there's another one and all of a sudden you realize, oh, wow, there's a hot doe in this thicket. And yeah, I bumped a satellite buck. I bumped a year and a half old. But there's all these other deer in the area that are circling and trying to get in on this doe that have no clue you're there. And you have an opportunity now because you, you, you're in it now to either kill something on the ground right then and there, or maybe you have a saddle set up and you can set up right then and there and get in the tree or whatever it is. I, I do think that finding that action sometimes is necessary. I did this last year during the rut. I was struggling. Hadn't seen much the last three days. The second to last day of my hunt, I had decided, you know, I got to find something new. So I went and did some on the ground scouting in a brand new part of a farm I had not seen yet ever. And so it's noon one o'clock, something like that. And I walked through some really good stuff because I, I needed, I had to take a swing. I had to find something that was going on. So I went walking through this thick bedding stuff and saw that it was tore up more tore up than any place I've been yet that year. And so I realized, Oh wow, this is where there's some stuff going on. This is the best bedding I've found yet. The best sign I've found yet. I set up some sticks in my saddle set up right then. And then I came back the next morning, had a 150 inch eight pointer come in the first hour of daylight. So that was an aggressive move. I could have bumped a ton of deer out of there but i had to get on the ground had to find something new and worth hunting and you know it, it very nearly paid off if i had uh, not missed that deer it would have been a great story all right parker i want you to talk to us about how you make the decision to become aggressive during the rut and then also give a couple examples of how specifically you are aggressive during the rut yeah, so um, I kind of look at uh, the rut very similar to, like, what the juries put out. You know, they put out a lot of stuff on DeerCast about the phases of the rut. And I think there was, like, a, was it called, like, 13 or something like that that they used to do, uh, a show that they used to do where they had, like, the different – they were talking through the different phases of the rut, and it really started in the beginning of the season, right? So um, – if your whole whitetail season is based around this one like week of peak rut, everything else is either pre or post. Um, and so specifically talking about like what we're coming up on right now for the majority of the country, we're talking about November, what the seventh is like, kind of like that day that everybody really likes. Um, for me in Alabama, it's December the seventh. It's like a, a month later. And so I'm, I'm preparing right now to go on these out-of-state trips, um, going to Tennessee and Kentucky here in the next week, and really um, hunting that, like, uh, early November rut that's supposed to, that everybody dreams about, right? And so um, when I'm getting aggressive, uh, it, it really depends on my situation that I'm in. So I'm going to be going on these out-of-state trips where – I'll have a week to make things happen in Tennessee and then I'll have a week to make things happen in Kentucky. So as I'm making those plans, I'm planning to be like as aggressive as I possibly can be because I don't have that much time to go in there. And, you know, I can't sit on the fringes of a, of a bedding area in Tennessee on day one and then move in on day two, a little bit further. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm trying to really make something happen as quickly as I possibly can knowing full well that too much aggression will could potentially bump deer out of an area. Um, but at, at some point it really just doesn't matter. Right. Because 
I've got a certain amount of time and I can bounce around. This is one of the reasons why I really like to hunt public land is because I have space to be aggressive. If I get aggressive in one spot and blow it out, well, then I have another spot that I can go into and, you know, potentially kill one or blow it out too. And then keep kind of moving down until I find, until it finally kind of comes together. And so, um, right now is my favorite time or like probably the month of October when you're talking about, uh, when you're talking about getting like really tight to bedding, um, I love doing that in the month of October because the thing, the, the sign that we look for, the things like um, rubs and scrapes, they're not as prevalent, I guess, from October 1 through, let's say, October 25th. They're, you're not going to find as many of them. They're not spread apart, uh, but you're going to find them in those Bucks core areas. And if you can really, really get in tight to that sign, I think it ups your odds a whole lot better. Um that being said, my favorite time to hunt is still, you know, that peak rut, like when the bucks are chasing does all over the place, running around with, uh, <laughs> running around with their junk, dragging the dirt. Yep. That's, that's my favorite time to hunt still. But as far as being aggressive, I don't think you have to be nearly as aggressive with that. Um, because the deer are going to be moving around all over the place. I think the time to be aggressive is right there. You know, let, let's say, three weeks before the three weeks before the, the peak rut, um, which is kind of, you know, two weeks ago till now, really, um, in the, in the areas in most of the country, because like I said, you can just get in tight. You can find that sign and the sign really tells you everything you need to know. If you find a rub or a scrape, um, or just a pile of buck turds, you know, that kind of stuff, in that quote unquote October lull that that's just telling you that you need to set up right there. Um, and usually that's going to be really close. I'll give an example. I was in Mississippi, uh, this past week and I was hunting a private property and, uh, it was really a doe hunt. Like I, I wasn't supposed to shoot bucks unless it was like a show enough good one. And, uh, we were just trying to manage the property and help them help them kill some does. Well, I start getting in there and scouting my way in, and I find uh, all these rubs. I mean, just a cluster of big, giant rubs with buck turds everywhere. And then I start finding scrapes all over the place. And in this particular uh, area, the rut's not going to be until December-ish in, in Mississippi. And so you got to think we're about a month and a half out from the rut, uh, but I'm finding all this quote-unquote rut sign, buck sign. And <laughs> the whole time I'm walking in, I'm, I'm – following this sign i'm like dang it if i was on public land right now i would totally be setting up right here in this spot because i know that this big buck is somewhere yeah. close he's very close. and i didn't walk 30 yards and i jumped him up out of the bed dang from there and he was a big you know 140 inch probably 20 inch wide just stud like yeah. a really really nice buck and i thought Man, that's cool. Like it, it, we talk about it on the podcast a lot right now. Hunting this uh, extreme pre-rut phase, um, we talk about it a lot. You know, like if you find that sign in that part of the season, you need to set up because there's a very high likelihood that he's bedded somewhere around there, and that sign's telling you exactly the way he's going to go. So uh, that's my favorite time to be aggressive is extreme pre-rut. Yeah. Um, whenever it comes to 
just like peak rut, man, I'm trying to find a funnel. That, that's really all I'm trying to do. Uh, the, the bucks are going to be chasing does. I'm going to try to find a funnel that's close to thick bedding cover because what, what I know about bucks is they're going to try to push does into that thick bedding cover. And, uh, and, and I don't, I would say I don't typically get all that aggressive um, during the rut. Now here in Alabama, um, that, I've talked about out of state trips, I guess. Um, and one second places where I don't have a ton. Of- one second, Parker. Yeah. Um, so it sounds to me like what you're getting at on these out of state trips during the, the traditional November rut, like when you go to Tennessee and Kentucky, your aggression is dictated by the time allowed on a trip. So you're forced to be aggressive because you only have, let's just say five days to hunt a particular piece of property. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Absolutely. So, so does that aggression then change when you drop down in, and um, all things the same? Uh, does that aggression then change when you have, when you're closer to home and you have the ability to go back to the house every day and you're hunting down in Alabama? Yeah, that's what I was going to say is like, so our rut here in Alabama, it's actually kind of cool because I get to, um, I can do all my out-of-state trips during the, during like the rut, like during November rut, late October into November and not miss my rut at home. So when I go back home and I'm getting ready for a December rut, um, yeah, I'm absolutely less, I'm way less aggressive, partly because I've done the scouting. I have years of time spent in these places and I know where bucks tend to push does around at in in my home areas and so i am definitely i have you know usually i will block out two weeks at the beginning of december and i'm just gonna i'm gonna hit the fringes first and see see what the signs looking like see what um see what kind of deer i'm seeing i know where the does are living at and so i'm gonna be more more or less hunting cruising bucks that's what i want to find um, at home and cruising bucks are typically going to be, um, you know, downwind, downwind of doe bedding. And so I'm going to start a little further away and kind of start working my way closer and closer to that bedding area, um, to those bedding areas that I'm hunting. And, man, I've gotten to the point sometimes where it's like, you know, the tail end of that, of that time frame, And I'm like set up in the middle of a bedding area, just trying to find them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I would consider that to be extremely aggressive and I'm making decisions that I wouldn't normally make just because I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to get as close and aggressive as I possibly can. Yeah. And, uh, and those are always, those are the fun hunts to me because it's like, man, I'm going out of my comfort zone, doing something a little bit different. And man, when it works out, it's like about as fun in the deer woods as you can possibly have. Right. Right. Last question. Uh, when do you throw the Hail Mary and what does that look like? Um, so for me, a Hail Mary is like, uh, let's say I try to think of a specific scenario where the Hail Mary really worked. Um, I guess it was, December the December the fifth, I believe, um, of two thousand and twenty, and I went into this place. This is back before I had a boat. I was only using a kayak, and to me, the hail marys are usually like, I'm going to get up at one o'clock in the morning and I'm going to go as deep as I possibly can, 
and try to find because I'm not finding them anywhere else. I'm going to try to find where these bucks are at. And so I paddled in like five miles on my kayak that morning, went in as deep as I possibly could and to a spot that I've always wanted to hunt, but I've just never done it. And that's usually what my Hail Marys are. Gotcha. My Hail Marys are, I've never been here before, but it's everything I want. It's just really hard to get to. And uh, I went in there, found a, a really a really fresh scrape. It was a really good spot. Just like, I mean, I was sitting about 15 yards away from the primary bedding in that, in that location. And sure enough, man, right around, I guess it was about 9.30, I had a hot doe come through, and I was just being, it was dumb. I, I potentially could have killed my biggest buck of my life that day. He came in chasing her, and I just didn't even realize he was there. He was kind of staying in that thick cover. She busted me, ran off, and he followed behind her. That's when I saw her, or saw him. And uh, then probably 30 minutes after that, uh, another nice buck came in following that hot doe trail, and I shot him. And so, like, that to me was, like, that was a Hail Mary. A Hail Mary, like, not, you know, cutting any corners, just going straight in for it. And it ended up working out. Um, and so I would say, like, for a lot of people, a lot of I know a lot of people have these spots, like these places that has have always stuck out on a map. And they look at it and they're like, man, but it's just so hard to get there. That to me, everybody's looking at that spot and saying, man, it's so hard to get there. And so it's probably not getting a lot of pressure. That's what I'm going to try to do is try to find those spots in the heat of the rut whenever it's, you know, you have a good chance of seeing a deer. Um, I'm going to try to hit those spots that are absolutely the toughest to get to. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. That's hunting, but it's a, it, it's a great reward whenever it does work out. And there you guys have it. I have to say this. You got to be careful. You got to be safe this uh, this season. Wear your safety harness. Don't take any shortcuts. Don't cheat. Don't, uh, because once you're a cheater, in my opinion, you're kind of always a cheater. And uh, don't cheat. Don't take shortcuts. Be safe. And not just necessarily for yourself, but for others around you. Um, don't be stupid. Wear your safety harness. I've mentioned that before. And don't get frustrated when shit doesn't go your way. Good vibes, man. We all need them. And, and now's the time we need them the most. Send them out to your neighbor. Send them out to everybody else. I honestly want each and every one of you to find success, whether that's big antlers, big bucks, or fill in the freezer. So uh, go get the job done, but do it the right way. Huge shout out to Tethered Wasp, Hunt Stand, and Vortex. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time to support the Nine Finger Chronicles, the Sportsman's Empire, and me personally. I absolutely love the, the community that we've built. And uh, last but not least, man, I think I said everything. So last but not least, good luck. Go get the job done, put the women and children to bed, and then come back to them with uh, you know a truck bed full of deer. So <laughs> go get them, guys. Thank you.